Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We have some news from within our Fox family. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And surprised to see two relatively famous people on the unemployment line broadcast news. I am Nick Saveri. Oh, Nick, don't read the copy out of my hands, man. Listen, on the program today, a big day in television media happened yesterday as we were recording. Fox News parted ways with their primetime fixture at 8 p.m. and Tucker Carlson. CNN parted ways with Don Lemon. Nick and I on the recent shakeup in the media landscape Plus, we're going to break down the recent Fox News Dominion lawsuit settlement, all of the findings from discovery that happened before the trial took place with our friend, former CNN and Fox News host Rick Sanchez. He's going to be on with us in just a bit. And then in our final segment, Professor Zavari's class is back in session. Nick is not only going to grade my recent appearance on MSNBC, but he's going to add to it. More on that later on the program. I alluded to him a minute ago. I was talking to this guy this morning on the phone at like 930 in the morning. All of this news breaks around 11, 12 during the day. Tucker Carlson let go at Fox News. Don Lemon let go at CNN. Who better than somebody who knows both of those people and worked at both of those networks than Rick Sanchez, the host of the Rick Sanchez podcast, former CNN, Fox News and MSNBC host. Rick, Mike and Nick, thank you for hopping on the podcast with us. Hi, Nick. You too, Mike. Yep. Oh, thank. Oh, thank like you for putting me. That. Yeah, thank you for putting me <laughs> second. So let, you know what? Right. Yeah, Rick. Let's get to this because 
Um, I, I had written out a bunch of questions. We we're going to talk about the Fox News lawsuit. With ah, the-, the hell with them. Throw them away. Yeah, exactly. Hey, boy, I had to because <laughs> all of a sudden, a man that's a fixture at 8 p.m. with an audience of close to 4 million people that has his own vertical on Fox Nation, a streaming service. This man is synonymous with Fox News Channel. You've been on his program a few times. Yeah. Give me some of your initial reactions of, of Tucker Carlson getting let go here at Fox News and what it means for the network. Well, you know, yeah, I Tucker and I became really good friends over the years for some reason. I don't know why, because we don't agree on a lot of things. But nonetheless, I always thought he was very entertaining and he would always call on me. And I'll tell you one thing about Tucker. Whenever I would call him for anything, I would just call him because I had an idea. He always answered my call and called me back, texted me back. We would, you know, be kind of text fiends there for a while. So in that sense, yeah, he and I became um you know, uh, I wouldn't say close friends, but, I, I, you know, we were associates and I thought he was always very respectful. I thought some of the crazy shit that he said on the air was nuts. And I thought many times as a Latino, I was insulted by many of his ideological positions. Uh, Don and I were hired at the exact same time, the exact same week at uh, MSNBC. In fact, it was Rick Sanchez, Don Lemon, and uh, the guy who anchors the news there now, Lester Holt. The three of us were actually anchored hired at the same time when they uh, when were they were when they were starting to blow up uh, MSNBC. So, yeah, I, I have a history with with both guys. I'll tell you what I was taken aback by. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read the Variety article yet, but apparently everything stems from that Variety article. And that's the reason that Don Lemon was fired. And he comes away in that Variety article uh, very angry. I know I guess the right term is misogynist, but the women who worked with him thought he was misogynist. You know, that that's. I respect their opinion, and that's what they said. But beyond that, in when you read the article, he, he sounds like he gets angry a lot about things and people, and that's never a good quality. And then he seemed to confirm it today, where as soon as uh, CNN announced that they had let him go, and I agree with him, they probably should have called him. When CNN fired me, at least you know the the, the president of CNN called me personally and said, "Rick, we're going to let you go," which I guess it is a little cooler. But the things that he said in, on Twitter today, the things that Don Lemon said and did on Twitter today, it, 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 it seemed angry. It seemed a little weird. I'm not sure I would have uh, I would have re- responded that way for what it's worth. Rick, I'm going to test a theory now. I've talked about on this show and just privately with Mike that there were two different versions of Tucker Carlson before you know we re- we hit the record button tonight. You mentioned knowing Tucker from Crossfire. Yeah, as a viewer way back when, and a you know big support obviously of Paul Begala and, and you know Jim Carvel, um, I was familiar you know with that persona that Tucker was, and like most people on TV, I don't fully assume that's who he is, but it seemed as though the version of Tucker Carlson you knew at CNN had changed by the time he arrived at Fox. Now, is that a case of just the personality got expanded or is this a case of professional wrestling where he goes to another organization? And he's just playing a different version of a character. What actually because you just mentioned a moment ago, of just just the reliability, texting, just the communication. What sounds like a professional, albeit po- politics aside, seemed to have entered a, a fairly cartoonish persona. Is that a fair estimate? Well, look. I'll be honest with you. Cable news has a way of consuming you ideologically. And they do it because they have a lot to offer, like millions and millions and millions of dollars, for example, you know, $20 million in some cases, whether you're Anderson Cooper or Tucker Carlson or, you know, who the hell you are, I don't care. It's a lot of money. And no matter how wealthy you are, even if you're a 
Swanson air, like uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, hey, you know, having a gig that pays you uh, $15, 20000000 million, that's pretty nice. Um, and they also afford you an opportunity to become a superstar within a certain sector of uh, any community. For Fox, it's, you know, angry white guys, you know. Uh, well, if you're an angry white guy and you live in America, and that's almost uh, 40% of the population, and you, in this case, Tucker Carlson, get to be the living embodiment, the persona, the superstar, the Trumpish-like figure in that community. Pretty cool. I mean, you know, hey, you know, no one's going to be the superstar for all people in America, but almost having 40% ain't bad. So here's this guy who was bored with his life. He was very wealthy, kind of had nothing to do. The regular media had already kicked him out. Fox picks him up and says, you're a superstar. 40% of America absolutely loves you. All you got to do is keep this thread going where you're there fighting for the little white guy who's being put upon by all the black people and the gay people and the Latino people and all that stuff. And you're going to be an absolute superstar and you're going to make millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars. A cool gig. So that is why he becomes what he becomes. And if somebody had offered him an opportunity to do that without having to be the guy for the white dudes or maybe for some other group, he probably would have taken that too. So yeah, you're right. You know, it's a great segue. It funnels into my question because and we're going to get into the Fox News lawsuit in just a second. But one of the big things that came out of that suit, it was this discovery phase before the trial of all the text message exchanges between Tucker, Hannity, Laura Ingram, the producers that were in the background. I've been a former PA, a Simon Desk editor there at the network. I know what it's like behind the scenes working with Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, and some of these folks. But I want to ask for on-air talent like you, Rick, um, because one of the big things that came out was Maria Bartiromo kind of circumventing everybody and just putting Sidney Powell on her show whenever she wanted to do. And Tucker, Hannity, and uh, Laura Ingram were very vocal and like, why is she going on that show? Who cleared this? Who cleared that? How hard would it be for Rick Sanchez, the man I know who yelled at me this morning at 930 in the morning about cable news and the way it's all and the way it's all the way it all foments. Right. Stop appearing on MSNBC. Right. I, sorry. Sorry. The exposure. There's about 700,000 people watching. Anyway, how hard would it be for you? You're a host of a show. Your producer during these months is like, hey, we're inviting this person on air. You know that person is blatantly spreading misinformation. I, I've asked you this before with Carrie Lake. How do you deal yeah. with it? But how would you deal with it working within the confines of Fox News as somebody who used to work there? Like, how would you deal with that? You mean, would I be able to get somebody on if the uh, big cheeses had already decided they didn't like that person and didn't want them on? Would I still be able to? Or vice, or vice versa, like a producer's yeah. like, let's put this person on. It feeds into what big wigs want to do. Like, how would you handle that? Or have you run across that during your career? Yeah, well, at Fox, it would have been a little tougher because after you could do it. Look, yes, they're neither CNN or MSNBC or Fox are ever going to say to a talent like myself who was a primetime talent, primetime, um, that... That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> it was funny. Um, they would never uh, chance creating a skerfuffle with a major talent by uh, saying, you cannot do that. You cannot have that person on. However, uh, you would know that the elders have not uh, do not like your decision. 
you would soon get a call from the president of the network, whether it's uh, Roger Ailes working in Fox, who would call the anchor personally, or John Klein, when I worked at the CNN, who would say, Rick, uh, I need to talk to you tonight. And, and, and we would have a frank discussion about something. But um, I, I had opportunities where I held my ground and said, no we need to talk to this person and this person is important or I'm going to do this story because I think this story is important. But you knew what they liked and what they didn't like. And after a while, you kind of acquiesced. And uh, and in, in Tucker's case, it went the other way. Tucker knew that by doing certain stories and feeding certain ideological uh, lines, uh, he would grow his audience. And... Uh, you know, the Murdochs were not going to get in the way of that. And and, and neither was uh, Suzanne or uh, whoever happened to be the bosses there at the time. So you do get some independence uh, when, you know, some, uh, I guess, uh, editorial independence when you work at Fox and you have your own show. But you can probably say the same thing about, you know, MSNBC or CNN. When, when you're in prime time and you're bringing in big numbers, big numbers, and remember, 80% of all revenues are derived from eight to 11 o'clock, eight to 10 o'clock really in prime time. So that's important to them. So you can get away with a lot of stuff if if and when you want to. And obviously Tucker was playing that card. Listen, by the way, what I have heard, I don't know if you guys are gonna be asking me this and I don't wanna to be too far ahead of you, but what I'm hearing from my sources is that Fox did not fire Tuck because of what he said having to do with the lawsuit. They fired him for some of the anti-management stances that he had along with that, that they got tired of his crap, constantly complaining about publicly about the Murdochs and about management and about Fox News and how they weren't defending him. And I think they almost feel like he got too big for his britches. And remember, as I was told many times at CNN, they don't care about ratings. Ratings don't mean anything. It, it ain't it, it ain't crap to these guys. The only thing they care about are subscribers. They don't make their money on ratings. People think it doesn't matter whether you're O'Reilly or Tucker or, 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 or Matto or whoever the hell you are. Ratings mean nothing. When I was working at CNN and I had the number one rated show at CNN and I would and they put me on at, at eight o'clock and, and I was fucking up against O'Reilly and I was beating what's his name, uh, Olbermann. And I remember I went to the president of CNN and we had a meeting in his giant office and he and I said to him, you know, the ratings are pretty good. He goes, we don't care about ratings. Doesn't matter. We don't make our money off of ratings. So it's interesting. You hear a lot of people talking about that today. It means nothing. You know, Rick, that's a helpful segue for the question that comes up to me about economics, because, you know, I close it today. You know, Fox's stock has dropped three percent. So here you are at the organization. You know, Dan Bongino's out. Tucker Carlson's out. If there's a revenue hit from these changes, what I'm asking you to sort of put on, you know, yeah. I guess the Murdoch's hat for a moment. What becomes sort of the long-term strategy of recognizing you're going to take a revenue hit right now, but how do you store, how do you continue to stay ahead of those waters, maintain a subscriber base that really much was dialed into to what Tucker was peddling at, at 8 p.m. every night? I do believe, and I don't know if this is the gist of where you're going with your question, but I think there is some, some, I think there's some material worth to the statements that Tucker made, which are so obtuse when it comes to what he said about, for example, President Trump. 
he basically said Tr President Trump was a piece of crap, a madman, a nutcase, whatever he said. I don't remember exact words, but something to that effect, that he shouldn't be believed and that he's embarrassing and that this whole story about, uh, you know, the election being stolen was all crap and a lie. And then he went on the air along with everybody else at Fox and essentially made it sound like Trump's a great guy, a great leader. And it's true that the election was stolen. I think that single statement of everything I've heard from all the other anchors at Fox has stood out to me as the most profound. And I don't think that statement would have survived the rest of the cases that are coming forward against Fox. I think to a certain extent, it may have been important for Fox to separate itself from the guy whose mouth that came from. Uh, for, for, for you know, for the sake of its own credibility, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if if Rupert and Lachlan probably sat down and said, there, "This is too much heat, not only from this and the guy's been burning us, and the guy said this and that, and you know what? Let's cut our losses. We'll find another one. What's the difference? Ratings don't matter anyway. We're Fox News. Fox News generates its own ratings. I remember." uh what's his name uh the, the fat guy used to be in charge over there who i used to talk to him every week what ails yeah roger roger and i would talk all the time roger always wanted to hire me he always wanted to hey, you're the latino guy whatever and i remember that i asked roger once because he had fired a, a, a top uh anchor over there um and, and I, I won't say who it is but her initials are Greta Van Suster. And I was going home from CNN one night, it was nine o'clock at night, and I'm on the phone and Roger calls, Rob, what are you, Ricky, what are you doing? And I said, Roger, you got rid of Greta, huh? You made a decision? He goes, yeah, I could have paint dry and it would be the same ratings as she's given me. I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I just don't think anchors matter that much. I can, I can put anybody in there. And he really believed that. And I, and I, and I think to a certain extent that that's true along the you know in, in cable news and and that's i couldn't stop thinking of roger telling me that today when i saw both uh both uh you know uh tucker and uh the other guy at cnn fired today so yeah like, that's so anchors don't matter as much as they think they do yeah well i would agree with that uh it's funny because i worked with greta for a couple of years but uh we'll, we'll we'll leave that for the uh, patreon version well listen that's what he said okay don't take it out on me Hey, you're just repeating what the guy said, but he's dead and he's not here to, to help chime in. Anyway, uh, let, let's start. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, he let's start. died in a bathtub, by the way, just in case you didn't know. It right. was a hemophilia. I did not know that. Um, well, I, I kind of knew part of that story. Anyway, let's start at the top where we originally were going to go with all this, which was because you mentioned about maybe Lachlan and maybe Rupert had said, let's cut our losses. Speaking of losses, I don't have $787 million. I'm not sure the three of us combined have $787 million. And here is a settlement from Fox News to Dominion. This story, obviously breaking the trial was supposed to happen last week. It got pushed to another day. And then all of a sudden you hear the settlement news come out. What were some of your initial reactions about the settlement, obviously, they were seeking $1.6 in damages. The company's worth about $100 million, so there's no way they were going to get that number. Going to a trial would have involved a lot of testimony from potentially Rupert, some of the on-air talent. So it was kind of like a play chicken from both sides here. Dominion, knowing that they could either get this or get nothing if one person on that jury watches Fox News, whereas Fox News could get run through the water and get everything about their business put on every other outlet out there. What'd you make of the suit and the settlement overall? 
Would I have made the decision to settle for a little more than half? What they were asking for 1.6, they got eight, almost nine. Hell yeah. Are you kidding? I mean, uh, all day long. I mean, it was, uh, it's it's a no brainer. And by the way, they're not done. They got more litigants to go. Uh, I think in the end, uh, this was a slam dunk case based on the evidence that we saw. This is a very small company that had a couple of deals with some different states and municipalities once every two years or once every four years. They helped them count ballots. They were not evil. They had nothing to do with Hugo Chavez. They didn't fake the thing. They did nothing essentially wrong other than, you know, they may have sucked at what they did in a couple of places. There was no major conspiracy. That was easy. Everybody knew that. And yet here's this big, giant corporation, perhaps one of the biggest in the world, picking on them. And... They have the goods. They have the evidence. They got them saying, no, these guys are fine. We're just going to make this crap up and put it on the air because it makes good TV. I mean, it was a it was a horrible case for Fox. I mean, a horrible case. And it goes down to the essence of, you know, the uh, what is what is a real turpitude in what we call journalism. It's a lie. You know, uh, actual malice. Uh, you know, you go, go through every New York Times case, every Butts case that exists in our in in, in journalism, uh, you know, law and uh, in libel law, and 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 this thing basically met every one of those standards and surpassed it. So, um, th th do I do I believe this is the worst thing that can happen in journalism? that, uh, you know, somebody can be irresponsible enough to do what Fox did to this small company? No. There's other journalism companies out there, including other cable networks, who lie all the time, but not lie in such a way so that it is so provable in a in court, like this one was. This, this one was a slam dunk. It was a slam dunk in a court case, and it was a little guy being put upon, trampled, if you will, by a big, giant guy. They had no chance. They had to settle, so they did. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do. I think this creates some. Like some people are going on. Oh, this is the future now. Everybody's got to be careful. No, no. This was just really stupid, and Fox had it coming to them, and they deserve what they got. Rick, I don't want to get you in any trouble, but you're alluding to what, in your experience, has been. As you were talking to, oh, because I've never been in trouble. <laughs> no, fair enough, but <laughs> far more egregious what we can consider, you know, violation of journalism ethics. Yeah. Um, in your experience, and again, just just from your from where you stand, what have been some instances where you have, as an accomplished journalist, seen what goes on behind the scenes or through the words or deeds of colleagues that have question. really just kind of just disappoint you in the field? It's not what you say. It's not the provable cases. It's what I know I wasn't allowed to say that I think is as egregious. I think while working at CNN, and I know when I watch cable news now, whether it's CNN or Fox or MSNBC, that, and, and, and this is what we were talking about, Mike, earlier today, I know they know better. I know they know the war in Yemen is wrong where 50,000 kids have died. I know when they in interview General Petraeus and they don't tell me that he has a contract with uh, a, a military uh, company, you know, or Pratt Whitney 
and that they're paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yet I'm asking him, should we send more, you know, uh, arms to uh, wherever Ukraine? And he's saying, oh, absolutely. And I'm not telling my viewers, wait, he works for one of those arms companies. That, that, that's terrible. That's horrible journalism. When, when you do a story about Latin America and, and you don't tell the story of what our CIA did in places like Panama and Colombia and, 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 and the civil war that we started, you know, in Guatemala that killed 200,000 people. When you, when you don't include information that is vital for a viewer's understanding of that story, and you know that, but you also know that if you say that, your editors are going to give you all kinds of shit, um, you're also being dishonest. Is it a case that's going to be lost in court? Can some poor mother who lost her child because of the uh, Guatemalan Civil War going to come after you? No, but but it's also wrong. And, and I could go on and on in cases like that where there are people who work today at the New York Times, at the Washington Post, at CNN, Fox, wherever the hell you are. They know the difference between right and wrong. They even, if you looked at their private emails, you would find private emails no different than the one that Tucker Carlson wrote about where he said he thinks Trump's a, a jerk, but then at the same time, he went on and praised him on TV. That same kind of thing happens all over the place in journalism today. And and it bothers me because it shouldn't. And uh, and yes, it it is comparable to a certain degree. No, it's not going to lose a case. No, you're not going to be taken into court. But it's also it's also bad and egregious in my mind because it's, it goes against what I believe is honest and true, and what we as a country need to do to make us a better democracy. You want to hear more gold nuggets like this? This man, I'm telling you, check out the Rick Sanchez podcast, download it, listen to it wherever you get your podcast. I gave him a free plug yeah. there. I am so grateful to you, sir, for not only your friendship, but also for showing me the way to do it, uh, to get on television. Obviously, you did it a little harder road through uh, traditional means. I'm doing it a little bit different. I'm still going to go on MSNBC because they invite me oh, on. But <laughs> I'm kidding you. You should. And you do a good job. And it's Thank great. You. And listen, my job is to challenge all of our institutions. So I go after all of them. And I want to be as ubiquitous as possible. Guys like you and I, and Nick, we're smart enough to know that if tomorrow I got a chance to go on Chinese TV or Israeli TV or Iran TV or whatever, Palestinian TV, go tell your story. Stories are more important than anything else. And we need to get away from silos. No more silos. Truth doesn't live in silos. It lives in the open expression of ideas. So be on MSNBC. And if Fox calls you, be on there too, Michael. I will. Rick Sanchez, check out his podcast, Rick Sanchez Podcast. Rick, I can't thank you enough for being on the program. Continue success, sir, and stay safe. Thanks, buddy. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. 
How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, quick break from the podcast to tell you about the good folks over at Fresh Roasted Coffee, the official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. You know, Nick, I want to do this different, this sad read. You hear the music in the background, but let's tell the people about what we truly like about Fresh Roasted Coffee. I'm going to go first because I love their Colombian Supremo. It's my favorite K-cup. Uh, everybody in my family has been ordering it. It's it, You can smell it when you're putting it in the K-cup machine. It's just so delicious and refreshing to know that I don't have to go with some of these other brands that are out there, that their coffee just doesn't translate into K-cups for me. And you know I'm a big K-cup guy. And I just, I just love what fresh roasted coffee brings me in the morning. I know I can make my cup of coffee, make my omelet, have my breakfast ready to go. What do you love about fresh roasted coffee, Mr. Mr. Coffee Snob, aficionado? I love the fact that they've turned my they've turned my coffee setup into the best coffee shop in town. You know, about a mile down the road from me is a a coffee company known for a particular shade of green, shall we say. I haven't stepped foot in there since you've introduced me to fresh roasted coffee. Love it. They have absolutely, this company, folks, I gotta tell you, Fresh Roasted Coffee turned my home into the best coffee shop in town. Now, Mike talked about flavors. I am a vanilla person. Every time I order from Fresh Roasted Coffee, by the way, can we get 20? We'll make sure you say 20% off your first order. When I order vanilla, the hazelnut, coconut. It's my it's my holy trinity of coffee. Respect. <laughs> um, and it never fails. It comes in the box, ready to go. It's the perfect blend of flavor, but also strength. Because when I wake up in the morning, I want a strong cup of coffee. But I also want to get that flavor too. And in a French press, as soon as I push it down, four minutes, of course, let it steep. Just get it right. I'm good to go. And I'm blowing through the coffee. I mean, these folks at, at Fresh Rose of Coffee know every few weeks I'm calling in. And if you want to, folks, you can be a subscriber too, like I'm going to become. Mike, they've <laughs> they've turned my home into the ultimate coffee experience. I can't, I can't put it any better than that. I mean, you really can't sum it up better than that. And like Mr. Severi mentioned, you go to freshroastedcoffee.com right now. Not only coffee, they have tea as well. They're Positively Tea sister brand. But you put all of this stuff, you go onto their site, you take their quiz, you get the coffee, you get the tea, you get the mugs, anything you want. When you get to checkout, enter in the promo code, can we get 20 to get 20% off the delicious coffee. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, our thank yous there to the one and only Rick Sanchez, former, again, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, uh, award-winning journalist for his coverage of Hurricane Katrina back in the 05 year. I was working at Fox News back then, funny enough, when that happened. Rick winning an award there for his coverage of that. Um, I so much good stuff. I mean, we're we're going to get into our last segment here, which is uh, Professor Zavari here grading my appearance on MSNBC. Now I don't even want to play it 
because I'm I'm like so worried about what Rick just said there. Um, it's true. Let me let me give real quick my takeaways on this, and I'll, I'll let you go before we get into our last segment. The big thing for me is I know why I'm going on television. I'm going on television for exposure. I think you and I have talked about this. I was looking at the ratings for Eamon's weekend show. He averages a 0.20 rating, which is not that great. It's probably between 600 to 700,000 viewers on Saturday nights and Sunday nights, right? So I'm going on there with the hope that of, let's say, 650,000 people are watching. Let's say 10% generously, 10% fall in love with me follow me on social media, and all of a sudden start downloading our show. That's 65,000 people that's new to our audience because they happen to see me on television. Now, you're not going to get 10%. Like You're probably going to get 1%, which is, by the way, Nick, what you and I got. I gained about a few hundred new followers. The show gained a few hundred new followers. We saw our subscriber numbers go up because of my appearance on television. So you really are doing it for the exposure. Now, the second part is what he talked about the most, which is, and it's really telling the character part of this, right? We talked about, Nick has made this reference of, is it professional wrestling? Is it not professional wrestling? I mean, there's an element of it, right? You don't want to come off as boring, right? Because boring doesn't sell. Boring's not going to get people to come listen to the Can We Please Talk podcast. They want to see something, and we're going to play in a second why they may have tuned in. Uh, after hearing me on television. So there is an element that you're trying to like bolster up a little bit. And from a guest perspective versus a a host perspective, we both know the same thing. The segment's going to be this way. These are the outline for the topics and let's get into it. Right. Uh, And here's who's on your panel or whatnot. Um, So from that vantage point, I can understand everything that he kind of said about television. Again, as somebody that worked in television, all of this stuff is true. I can just stamp the validation there of everything that he said. But um, the takeaways for me are, I don't know if him and I could both work at this version of Fox News right now. Like, I just don't, uh, when I worked there, you know, I was working on nightly news cuttings. They don't do those anymore. Those were like top five stories. Here's what you need to know. There's a war going on here. There's this going on here. Let's go to this court. Like, they don't even do that anymore. Um, it was a little bit more, news centric. I mean, the most outlandish show was like, you know, O'Reilly's at eight o'clock, but O'Reilly was interviewing President Obama, you know, like coming up next, President Obama. Tucker Carlson's never interviewed President Obama. Like, are you crazy? Like, you know, this so like, and he's been on the network when he was doing his presidency. So like, it's a different network now. And like, you know, you just mentioned when one of his questions, you asked him about, you know, Dan Bongino getting, there was no Dan Bongino working at Fox when I was there on the weekends. Like these were the people that were working on the weekends had like worked like what he mentioned. They had worked at other places in news and then they've come here. Greta Van Susteren, like he mentioned, she was on the one the weekends. It's just a news person, like just put a straight fixture, boring news person up there to give the news. And so somewhere along the way, the opinion side started to dominate. And I love that he took us through kind of this, like um, this villain story of like an origin story, excuse me, of Tucker and how literally Fox was like, Hey, here's a 40% built in audience. Just go do this and we'll stay out of the way. What was some of your takeaways from, from hearing from Rick? We were texting back and forth. I mean, Rick is great in the stories he can tell again, you know, over a 30 plus year career of not only local television, but, the national outlets as well. What were some of your takeaways? 
You know, the first thing that comes to mind, it's actually not so much about Rick, but it, it's about you. Um, and we'll talk about this, obviously, when we you know, talk about your appearance on MSNBC. But as you were mentioning Eamon's numbers, um, you know, we've talked about your dad a lot. Just, you know, the experience of being Afro-Cuban. And I sat with the fact that here's a here's a guy, you know, the the grand grandson of people who you know, have come from a place where this idea of, of free media, truly free, not state run um just was seen by almost a quarter of a million people on sunday i'm someone i get to call a friend but and then also a co-host and that's that trips me out man like you and i were just texting about this when i was at the airport on sunday and um i'm just proud of you i was proud of you i was excited for what came out um and yeah i don't know why they just randomly hit me like that but as you were talking about those numbers it's like holy crap that's that's real well, real um, quick, uh, three quarters of a million people. They, but I don't want to shortchange it. But anyway, go ahead. Get back to your. Get so, back to your, to you know, the other side, though, going back to Rick, I had the feeling I had was one of it's funny because, I mean, we we laughed a lot during that interview. I mean, obviously, as listeners and you know, you'll you'll hear only very, very small pieces of it because Mike's a great editor. But also we, you know, by discipline, we mute ourselves, obviously, because we want to respect, you know, your your all listening ears, obviously. But Throughout all the laughter, I'm reminded of being back in journalism school at Rutgers. And and this sadness came over me because here's an accomplished journalist who very plainly is explaining to me and to you and to our listeners, obviously, that what we just saw with the Dominion suit is not the worst thing that's ever happened in journalism. Um you know, recently we saw Jake Tapper, you know, try to read the statement of the attorney, Jake Tapper of CNN. Um, and he laughed, you know, Tapper laughed as he read the attorney's statement from Fox News about this was that the victory, the settlement with Dominion was a you know win for journalism and all that stuff. And here's someone at CNN just like you sort of getting his yucks off. And here's a guy in Rick who we both know, who we trust, who's sitting here telling us flatly, this isn't the worst of it. Mike, the, the experience I had is a little like for anyone who's seen the movie JFK, the best scene of that movie, arguably, is when Kevin Costner's character, you know, um, you know, the DA of New Orleans goes to DC and meets a secret agent, you know, played by Donald Sutherland, who, you know, is simply called X in the movie. And Sutherland just takes him through all the background of the Kennedy assassination as it relates to national intelligence. Now, I can't stress this enough. None of that happened. <laughs> That's Oliver Stone's, you know, dream being played out in front of you. But the idea that there are so many things behind the scenes going on that completely blow your mind to what you think you know was what I experienced as Rick was telling his stories. And to the point where I was telling you both off air that you both should write a book because I think there's a lot to be said about the state of journalism when something like this massive court case where three quarters of a billion dollars is just going to be paying off to dominion is not the worst thing that's ever happened um yeah so it left me i mean it left me in a state of just laughter obviously because rick's a great storyteller but also it also made me sad that this is not the worst of it yeah well you know one of the things that he said there towards the end was go on tv right speak your truth go on there and i i was telling somebody this off air uh it's not my truths it's not your truth it's the truth like I, i'm i'm adding in facts that are already <laughs> out there for public consumption, just giving you a little bit more of my perspective around it. So let's play some of that. I want Professor Zaveri here. I want you not only to grade the appearance here, but I'm going to have you chime in on the segment. 
So I was on Eamon's uh, Saturday show. Shout out to our buddy Eamon Mohideen. Check out his show Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 9 p.m. over on MSNBC. So the segment that I was on, it was three segments. The third segment was me and Hayes Brown, who's an MSNBC columnist. And we were talking about the worst of the week. And it was between Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Lindsey Graham. The two of them have been doing some flip-flopping as they usually do. And I'm going to play a little bit of this uh, clip here. So you're going to grade a little bit of, of the experience, Nick. But also, I want you to chime in, given the facts that I've are presented in these clips, as to who is your worst of the week between these two senators. Take a listen to this. This is not a partisan thing, though. It's just unfortunate that Lindsey Graham would talk so tough in 2018, but still choose to go to Saudi Arabia today because of the economic investment aspect of it. That's not... That's not the sort of moral standing that he was projecting in 2018. And I, I guess that's just what we have to expect from Lindsey Graham. Uh, Mike, who do, you, uh, who do you have? Well, I'm so glad Hayes went with Lindsey because I, I was ready to lace into Ted Cruz. You know, my sister lives in Texas, so I love the good people of Texas out there, my brother-in-law as well. So shout out to them. But I asked Representative Seth Moulton, he came on the program a few weeks back, and I asked him about working with other members across the aisle. How do you work with somebody like a Senator Ted Cruz that maybe flip-flops on different positions or spreads misinformation or disinformations or parodies, talking points, and he goes, easy, you don't work with those type of people. I work with sensible Republicans that want to pass meaningful legislation that will affect constituencies. And he worked with Representative Chris Stewart on the 988 uh, suicide hotline bill. I mean, there's a reason why the former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, wrote what he wrote about or said what he said about Ted Cruz years ago. I mean, Ted Cruz, in my opinion, is one of the worst folks in the Senate right now. Lindsey Graham, or 1A to that one, is Ted Cruz. And let me ask you this, Mike. Um, Graham, not the first time he has flip-flopped on someone. He famously went after Trump during the 2016 election, uh, saying if they nominated him, it would destroy the Republican Party. He called him a racist, a xenophobe. He said he was selling some fake stuff to the base. Now he's one of Trump's most loyal advocates. He practically cried on Fox the other day when Trump was indicted. Is Graham not the most shameless man in the Senate with these flip-flops? I mean, Eamon, do you have my uh, my script here that I'm reading from? I mean, Jesus Christ, are you reading everything that I was going to say? No, I mean, in all seriousness, we all remember on the House floor what Lindsey Graham said that night of January 6th when the proceedings were interrupted and when he came back to the House floor and what he said. He said, enough, I'm out, that's it, I'm done. And then, like you said, he's in a nice blazer and he's on Sean Hannity, has crocodile tears, and he's saying that you should donate to President Trump's campaign. I mean, nobody has flip-flopped more. Maybe John Kerry, when he was running for president. If you remember back in 04, how much slack, uh, flack, excuse me, that yeah. Kerry got when he was flip-flopping. Lindsey Graham is one of the best at it. All right. So, Nick, the content, obviously, worst of the week, two of the worst. One has drawn the ire of both of us on this program. We talk about actually having people that have substance, right? Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, there's not much substance to both of these guys. They just ride whatever wave they're riding in on or coattails of whatever they're in on. Again, that's my opinion, but you could point me to certain pieces of legislation that both of them had voted down and that could easily prove out what I'm saying here. Um, Who would be your worst of the week as you're grading my appearance here on MSNBC? And who is your worst of the week between these two guys in Senator Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham? 
Yeah, I think arguing for Ted Cruz is kind of handing him a lifetime achievement award. Um, you know, in recent, if we're talking about the worst of the week, I, I too also go with Lindsey Graham. Um, not necessarily for the reason that uh, Hayes gave on the show about talking to Saudi Arabia, because if we're going to make that argument, then you can lump in the president with that. I mean, there's countless people that are still having conversations with the Saudis, and we know everything from the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, you know, everything obviously that played out with the with the live tour, you know, what what the nation's all about, at least the royal family is. So I think a lot of us could be guilty uh, if, if that's the bar that we want to use. Uh, but most recently, Graham's uh, comments you know, definitely make him stand out. But Cruz is always I guess I would say he's always the perennial person. Like he's, he's the Patrick Mahomes right now, you know, of the Republican Party. Like he's just always there. And that's the person you always got to pay respect to in this way, not necessarily in, not necessarily the positive light. Well, and, and for a grade letter grade here for for my appearance, pundit punditry. How did I sound there to you? I, I, I gave you a B plus. Uh, I took a point away because I, I did disagree with you on the um, the Ted Cruz thing, but. Now, you know, I texted this to you and I mean this seriously and just objectively as someone who was watching the program, you know, one thing I appreciate about when you go on is the stress of the fact that regardless of political opinion, that facts matter, um, parties can be pushed to the side for a, mat- for a while. Uh, you talk about this on the show. You did it on Eamon's program about just getting it down the right wrong. You know, when we started this program, the analogy you've always given is, you, you can't talk to people who say that the sky is orange and, you know, the water is red or something, right? Like these are not serious people. And even if they do say something accurate, you know, it's the broken clock analogy, right? And, but in general, they're not serious people. Um, and I appreciate the fact that every place you go, that's the energy you're bringing is just playing it down the middle. Because I, I think for anyone who knows this show, particularly in you and I, yeah, there's not necessarily everything you and I agree with, but I appreciate the fact that you're just very down the, down the road with that, down the middle rather, about being factual. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I agree. obviously, I'm going to be slanted to you because you know I care about you. You're a friend. You're a colleague. Um, but I give you a B plus. I thought you know in comparison to the other guests, I think you just stay in your lane really well. Like you know, you know what you know. Um, I texted this to you. I'll bring it up to the group as well. Here, group family. You're all family who listen to this program. Um, even you're just deferring to other people's expertise on the panel, which is not necessarily something that people do often. I thought you did that well with the attorney that was there. Well, I appreciate the the grade because uh, for sure, a B plus is a, is a high score, a nice 89 there. I like that. Um, America, I'm going to steer us back to where we need to be. Uh, to Nick's analogy that I always like to use with the sky's blue and the sun's yellow. Uh, if people are telling you, you know, it's red and orange, can't have a conversation with those type of folks. And, and for all the people that we've had on this program that have told us, you know, if you reach out to those people, you find out what's going on. I don't got time for that. If you want to live in that planet, you want to live in that vortex, you want to live in that funnel. There are tons of places. And the guy we just mentioned that just lost his job at eight o'clock will probably be starting a platform that will bring over people like that, that want to get more confirmation bias about things that are not real and nonsensical. There's probably people that listen to this show that watch this show. That's fine. But you you can go do that over there. I don't have time for that. I literally don't have time for that. I would like to get us back, and not so much into this middle, but more into like talking about policy. Who does this impact? 
right, wrong. I mentioned that you talked about it on uh, the segment that I was on. The second segment was about Clarence Thomas. This is not an R&D thing. Like some somebody who's a billionaire. Think about how many times in your life, folks, for you listening out there, that you've spent 500 grand on somebody else and not expected anything back in return. Think about how many times you've done that. The answer should be zero. I mean, come on. This is this is a Supreme Court justice with a billionaire friend who's taking him to all these different places and trips. You don't think there's a smidge of impropriety there? If you don't think that, we got to get back to right wrong. This is not an R&D thing, nor should be. We leave it there. Our thank yous to Rick Sanchez again for coming on the program. Go check out the YouTube version of that because like Nick mentioned on video, it's even funnier and how much we laughed during that interview, but a lot of good nuggets there. And go check out the Rick Sanchez podcast available wherever you get your pods. Uh, Subscribe to not only Rick's show, but our YouTube channel as well. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should come right up. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now. Shout out to everybody who listens to us across wherever you listen to us. Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods, CastBox. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Truly can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.